630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. He blitzes right past Marshawn to the net. Dishes. What timer score? Leon Dreisaitl. What a play by McDavid. Body takes the snap. He looks to the right side. He's throwing to the end zone. There it is. Touchdown Eskimos. Duke Williams. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. We got the Maple Leafs leading the Bruins 1-0 early in the second period. After one, Devils and Panthers are scoreless, and the Senators and Rangers tied 1-1. Early second frame, Islanders and Capitals even 1-1. And late in the first, the Blue Jackets out to a 2-0 lead on the Red Wings. Monday night football, interesting one here. Tennessee trying to stay in the playoff hunt in the AFC, taking on Houston who started the season 0-3. They are now 7-3, seven consecutive victories for the Houston Texans. The Oilers flying back from Los Angeles today, so they were not on the ice. Disappointing 5-2 loss last night to the last place Los Angeles Kings. The Oilers now a three-game homestand. Starts tomorrow against Dallas, 5.30 face-off show here on 6.30. Ched, the puck will drop at 7. Hope you had a great weekend. The Grey Cup, the Grey Cup Festival. I think our city looked pretty good. The Calgary Stampeders getting it done. We'll break down the victory with Eskimos receiver Nate Ajay later on in the show. Here's Kelly Rudy on a penalty shot. He scores! Kelly Rudy beats Manon Rayon. Oh, you heard that right. Kelly Rudy scoring on a penalty shot on Manon Rayon. <laughs> Kelly, welcome back to the show. Oh, boy, you know, that, that's a good memory in the sense there's a fun hockey game. It's a charity game, but, uh, in fact, it happened to be uh, uh, quite a bad time for a lot of people in around Los Angeles. It was called Fire and Ice, that charity, and we had a, a, a basically a, a shinny charity game versus the Anaheim Ducks um, because there were, just like what was going on recently in California, there was tons of fires in Malibu and uh, in around the LA area and it affected so many people so we ended up having a charity game and Manom was uh, one of the goalies that played I played forward as you would expect and uh, uh, I don't know why they gave me a penalty shot but I used to play a lot of shinny in the summer so I was pretty confident going uh, uh, against her and I think I went five holes so uh, uh, it was the weirdest thing like can you ever imagine now like having a a charity shinny game against another NHL team like that's unheard of right and so you'd never have that again yeah I, I'm glad you explained the circumstances about that because I, I wasn't totally sure and I, I and I didn't want to dig in too much because I wanted you to tell the story but I gotta say I was pleasantly surprised at how fleet of foot you were going in on the penalty shot you free yourself of those goalie pads and you turn it into Donovan Bailey <laughs> well I can't remember because I haven't watched that clip in I don't know Oh, I don't even know if I've ever watched it, but I don't. Was I wearing uh, forward skates or was I wearing goalie skates in that clip? I, I even remember. I think you were wearing forward skates. Yeah, I used to go back and forth when, uh, even when I play shinny with the guys, uh, I would play. I'd wear forward skates, and then uh, when I play golf, course, I'd wear my goalie skates. But you know, it was uh, there as you can imagine. The difference between goalie skates and uh, uh, forward skates is immense, and so. 
Uh, I most likely would have had, I wouldn't have been wearing uh, forward skates since the summer, so I had probably about three, four months of goalie skates. So I always was thrown off the first couple times I'd wear it because the rocker was so different. But nonetheless, uh, come summertime, it was back to forward skates and uh, having lots of fun again. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports, former NHL goaltender analyst with the NHL on Rogers. Uh, Kelly, great to have you back on the show. Hey, you know, the Oilers through these first three games with Ken Hitchcock, a record of 1-1-1. One, one, and one. Thought a couple of pretty good games in San Jose and Anaheim. Unfortunately, the late goal against the Ducks. Um, gave up uh, way too many chances against Los Angeles last night, and it finally came back to bite them as they trailed uh, 3-2 in the third and then lost 5-2 on a couple of empty netters. Yessi Puglia-Yarvi came up from Bakersfield to play in that game. Ken Hitchcock said he, he, you know, he asked Shirelli to call him up and said, I think I can teach this guy you need big-bodied players. Uh, in the Western Conference, in the Pacific Division, to be successful. Now, Puliyarvi, who uh, and one of the p- f- uh, complaints fans had about Todd McClellan was that McClellan didn't play him enough. Well, Puliyarvi played a season low 7.43, though Hitch says he plans to work him in and, and teach him more as we move along. We'll see how that goes. But I'm guessing in 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 your career, you've you've seen this as a player, a, a high pick or a player with uh, with a lot of expectations, and you kind of feel like. Okay, two, three years later, we're still waiting. Is he being managed properly? Is he being coached properly? Oh, yeah. Uh, the league is littered with, uh, in the history of players like that, and there are currently players like that, and you, you still wonder, uh, are they going to turn out? Or are they a bust? And, and it's so difficult when they're that young age to really pinpoint if they're going to be a good player or not. I go back to my time in L.A., and uh, the one guy that comes to mind uh, was Aki Berg. Um, he was a first-rounder. I can't remember what year, but I think he was third overall. And he had a, a pretty decent NHL career, but it was uh, pretty slow starting. Uh, if I remember correctly, he spent a fair amount of time uh, in the minors going back between us and uh, our uh, farm team in Phoenix. Uh, really nice guy. Um, had a, like I said, had a better career when he went to Toronto. But then I was surprised, Reed, I, when you sent me the text about uh, Pulley Arby and some, some of my experiences, I went back, and that's all the only one I could really find with L.A., but I was really surprised when I went back to my time with the L, or, uh, New York Islanders because I thought their drafting would have been spot on, and yet there were a lot of situations uh, back in the mid-'80s uh, where there were a lot of first-rounders that – never really panned out for different reasons. Like, there was a guy by the name of Duncan McPherson, first-rounder, and I, I, if I remember correctly, Duncan was, uh, he, well, by the way, he was an awesome guy and tragically lost his life, but he was a, he had some severe injury problems, and I think that one of the reasons why his career never got on track. And then uh, there was a guy by the name of Brad Delgarno, there's a bunch of others, uh, Dean Chenow, uh Ed Chenow's son, um, there was uh, Dave Chizowski, another Western Canadian guy. and These were all really highly touted uh, first-rounders that never really had much of a career. So, um, And, I, you know, here in Calgary, I'll give you a great example of why you should be patient. Um, and you never know what you're going to get. So Sam Bennett was drafted fourth overall, I believe. Yep. And uh, Leon. even yep. I was unsure. I didn't know if Sam was ever really going to turn out. And I've got to tell you, this year he has been phenomenal. And and does it always take four or five years? Well, you hope not. 
But in a lot of cases, it does take a lot longer for most of the guys. And, you know, guys like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are the exceptions. And even Dreisaitl had to go back to junior for half a year. So I think my point being about Pooley Arby is that I've heard really good things. I've talked to a bunch of people. They really think that he has a high uh, upside. And so because his career hasn't gotten off to the quickest start, I don't know if we should be judging that all this uh, quickly. I just want to give an aside. Duncan McPherson, that that rang a bell a few years ago when I was producing Oilers Now with Bob. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the person's name, but somebody wrote a book about Duncan, and he uh, disappeared under very mysterious circumstances at at a ski resort, I want to say in Austria. Yeah, well, it was his mom that that wrote the book, and because... She and uh, her husband were searching for Duncan for so long, and Duncan happened to be one of my really good friends when uh, we were together with the Islanders, and and so that was so tragic. But it it, it uh, I don't know what the police investigation actually turned up, uh, Reed, but I believe it was something like this. Now this isn't going to be completely accurate, but just off my memory, so Duncan was going to go play hockey, I believe, in maybe Scotland or something, and uh, he stopped, I think, in Germany on the way over because he had some friends over there and he was going to go spend a few weeks before he had to show up for his uh, European team and he decided to go snowboarding. He found some resort that had uh, some uh, snow still late in the uh, summer season so he rented a snowboard. I believe he took some lessons and then went off on his own and then he was never found again until, oh boy, uh, I'm going to say a couple years ago maybe. Uh, maybe a little bit longer, and unfortunately, this, the snow and the glacier had melted to a point where they were able to recover his body, and uh, very, very sad, and just a, a, just a terrible yeah. situation for the McPherson family. And, and I think there was always, uh, a, a, unfortunately, a, sus- a suspicion that maybe somebody knew what happened, like it was an accidental yep. death, yes. but still people yes. said, well, let's just... Uh, and again, you know, this it's all kind of speculation, but maybe he was hit by a snow, like one of the grooming machines or something, and, and you know. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. unfortunately, as you said, it, it, it appears as though there was an accident, and he was accidentally uh, hit into a crevasse and sort of buried and, and perhaps crushed with the blades of the... Uh, the snow grooming machine and stuff. So it was just a terrible accident. Yeah, for sure. We had a, we had another terrible loss in the hockey world uh, here over the weekend, Kelly. Mick Magoo, very uh, very outgoing, very animated referee during his time in the NHL, unfortunately suffered a stroke and passed away at the age of 62. Yeah, you know, Mick, first of all, I knew uh, of uh, the Magoo family before I knew Mick. So, uh Mick's younger brother, or older brother, excuse me, or no, no, would have been younger brother. I would have played against in junior, Jim Magoo. He was a really talented player in the Western Hockey League. But then I, I started to hear about Mick, uh, and he was coming up through the ranks. I believe he play, He was in the uh, Western Hockey League after I I left. And, uh, and then when I first got to know him in the National Hockey League, you know, he was – I'm going to say there are five or ten guys that really put me at ease before a game. And here's how my uh, routine worked, uh, Reed. So I'd go out for the warm-up, and uh, I'd read the game notes always before uh, getting ready and so on. I usually read them at lunch, too. But the last thing I would do before I would leave the dressing room and go back onto the ice for the start of the game is I'd take a quick glance 
and see who the referee was going to be that night and who the linesman, because I wanted to make sure that uh, I was familiar with uh, the guys. And like I said, there's five or ten of them in the, in the case of the referees that really put me at ease, and Mick was one of them. Other guys like Andy Van Hellman, Robbie Schick, uh, Kerry Fraser, Paul Stewart. There are a few others that I'm, I'm forgetting, but I always knew in that game whether or not I agreed with the call always, but that they were fair, they were passionate about it, and that I was always going to have a really good rapport that night with those guys. So even, like I said, if I didn't like the way the game was going, uh, one of the best things those guys did, including Mick, they'd calm me down. So I was sometimes I played too passionately, and I'd get too riled up, and they were really good at bringing me back down to a, a better level. And, uh, so, and I always loved Mick because he was so animated. You know, you know, I think all of us remember, and I can't remember what his, uh, his uh, referee... Uh, uh, teammates called it the helicopter, the helicopter where he'd yeah. wave off a goal and his arms would go like back and forth like crazy and I always admired that about Mick and I told him that I just loved his passion for the game and uh, you know one of the things this is a little bit off topic but one of the things that I always uh, hated about what the NHL did was at some point when they took off the uh, name bars of the referees and it just became a number because I always thought People like Mick and the other guys I mentioned, they were a part of the fabric of the game. And now the fans don't know the linesmen. They don't know the referees by name. And, you know, they're just anonymous people on the ice. Whereas I thought uh, back 20 years ago, they were an important fabric of the game. And they they connected with the fans in the same way that the fans had a connection with the players. And so Mick was one of those uh, great guys in the game. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that, Kelly. Great to have you on the show. Uh, what do you have on the docket this week, buddy? I've got an easy week. Uh, I flew home yesterday from Toronto. I work uh, at home Wednesday. The Dallas Stars are here. They, I know they're in Edmonton tomorrow, and then I think LA's here Friday, but I uh, fly back to Toronto on Friday, so I missed that one. All right. Well, we'll talk to you again next week, Kelly. Always appreciate it. Thanks for your time, man. Okay. See you, Reed. Uh, Reed thanks, bud. That's Kelly Rudy checking in once a week here on Inside Sports. Former NHL goaltender and sometimes goal scorer in a penalty shootout. And yeah, we uh, kind of unexpectedly got into that Duncan McPherson story. I'm sure a lot of you heard about that. Very, uh, very mysterious and very tragic. And we'll have a little bit more on Mick Magoo from a guy who used to work games with him. Former NHL linesman Mike Civic will join us after the 630 News. You can reach out by texting 63630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. This is Inside Sports on 6.30 Chet. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6.30 Chad. All right, full newscast at 6.30, but quickly right now, an update from Eileen Bell. The Senate has passed legislation ordering an end to rotating strikes by postal workers. That means all postal services across the country should be back up and running by 10-hour time tomorrow morning. And as you mentioned, Adam Brills will have more coming up in the 6.30 News. Thank you very much, Eileen. That is Eileen Bell from the 6.30 Ched Newsroom. All right, so more on uh, that story coming up at 6.30. Of course, this portion of the show presented by Furnace Family, your 24-7 furnace repair and replacement specialist. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. Monday Night Football is underway. Three minutes in Tennessee with a quick 3-0 lead on Houston. Houston riding a seven-game winning streak into this contest. Kellen Kennedy working as our studio producer. 
Kellen, I ran into you Saturday night mm-hmm. at the Great Cup Festival. I yes. uh, got to have a nice leisurely walk through the festival. So much energy, so much stuff going on. I did go into the eSports tent, mm-hmm. so I saw the League of Legends actually being played. That's intense, wasn't it? Uh, well, I didn't quite grasp it. I didn't know what I was... Uh, like they have a, So there's people sitting on a stage at computers playing. Have you ever watched this? Yep. I've and, seen a couple in the past. So. Okay, so I hadn't seen it before, and then they have a monitor facing the audience so you can see what's happening. But I didn't understand what was going on in terms of the battle or anything like that, but found it very interesting. A, a friend of yours was doing what? The with the zip line or the or The, 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 the bungee, bungee drop, yeah. The bungee. And how did he or she enjoy that? She enjoyed it uh, very well. She was a little hesitant of taking that first step off of, you know, solid into midair, you know, because gravity is such a <laughs> well, it's an undeniable force. Isn't it's an it, undeniable force, exactly. Is what I'm trying to say. But uh, yeah, no, she th- was thrilled by it. She loved it. Uh, the entire thing. I was down there from noon till I think I got home till after four that night. So it was uh, quite the late. You were day, downtown from noon until four a.m. Yes. My goodness. Yeah. There's a lot to do. A lot to see. No lot wonder to do. they ran out of liquor everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Oh, I'm joking, of course. Uh, all right, well, that's cool. So did you go to the game? I did, yeah. Your prediction of uh, 66-63 for Ottawa did not come true. I was so disappointed in that. I have not received any text to 630-630 about people celebrating an accurate score prediction from text to their show on Friday. I can tell you this. I did get an email from uh, Deb from Wildwood. And she predicted 25-13 for Calgary. Wound up 27-16. She might be the closest one of all the texts and emails we had. Mike Civic will hop on the show when we get back. A little more on the passing of Mick Magoo. Nate Ajay from your Edmonton Eskimos will break down the Great Cup. You'll hear from head coach Ken Hitchcock of the Oilers about Puliyarvi, about that Brodziak line. What are they doing? Are they ever going to score? And on Alex Chason, who just keeps firing away. Chason shooting percentage of 41.7. is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Philadelphia Flyers fired general manager Ron Hextall today. Jacksonville Jaguars have promoted former Toronto Argos coach Scott Milanovic to offensive coordinator. He had been the quarterback's coach. They fired Nathaniel Hackett after losing their last seven games. High expectations for the Jaguars this season, but they're going to miss the playoffs at 3-8. and eight. Monday Night Football, Tennessee just got a touchdown. They lead Houston 10-0 six minutes into the first quarter. Houston trying to stretch its winning streak to eight games. NHL this evening, Maple Leafs and Bruins tied 2-2 late in the second period. Also in the second, 2-2 between the Devils and Panthers. 1-1 between the Senators and Rangers. Blue Jackets up 3-0 on the Red Wings after two. Capitals lead the Islanders 2-1. The Oilers back at it tomorrow as they will host the Dallas Stars. 5.30 face-off show here on 6.30, Chad. The game will begin at 7. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Touched on this a little bit with Kelly Rudy. Unfortunately, the hockey world lost referee Mick Magoo. He uh, passed away at the age of 62 after suffering a stroke. It's uh, interesting that Curtis Joseph was at Edmonton a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about uh, his new book. Cujo put out a, a book about his life growing up in Toronto, and uh, he had a, a pretty tough go of it as a, as a kid. And one of his most memorable moments involved Mick Magoo. Remember back in the 2000 playoffs, he uh, went 
at Magoo after a goal, and they had a bit of a wipeout. Here's Cujo's memory of that. It's in top 10 meltdowns every once in a while on TV. And, and my kids, you know, now they're in their 20s. They're like, they'll, they'll see it and they'll look over at me and they'll go, Dad, you're embarrassing the family. <laughs> they'll just give it to me. But uh, Mick Magoo was somebody that would never listen to anything I said. He'd always put his hand up um, and don't like, don't talk to me. So I, I really hated that. And, you know, all the other referees, Terry Fraser and uh, you name it, they go, Kujo, calm down. Did I miss something? And then you talk to them and they go, I'll get the next one, which is the exact right way to do it, you know. But uh, anyway, you've never listened to me. And then I felt like I was in field. I felt like I didn't play well. I felt like we lacked energy. So, you know, I would never call anybody out. But when you show raw emotion like that um, I think it has an effect on your team you're in a leadership position and uh, we ended up winning the next two games so but I did go over and I, I lost an edge on my uh, outside edge of my right foot and I slid into him um, I got the, the call from the league uh, you know saying they should suspend me but uh, they ended up not I told him exactly what happened and um, so it was uh, it was one of the funnier moments but the big picture was we won the next two games and put Ottawa out. All right, a little bit there from Curtis Joseph. He was on Oilers now with Bob Stoffer a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, yeah, that, that uh, incident all, often comes up when it's uh, talking about top uh, meltdowns or, or crazy interactions with referees and linesmen. And we're going to bring in Mike Civic, who we've uh, had the pleasure of having on the show before, former NHL linesman. Mike, we had that story from uh, Cujo, and uh, kind of summing up maybe life as an official. Uh, he didn't feel he, he had a great relationship with Mick, but we had Kelly Rudy, another goaltender, on in the last half hour and he said he always liked uh Mick's games because Mick uh Mick always put him at put him at ease but that's that's life you guys deal with eh yeah it is it, it is you know it, it's funny to hear Cujo's side of it because if, if if you could have Mick tell the story it's almost like Mick was uh oh you know Curtis came at me and I was getting ready to drop him but you know he kind of fell and I was kind of worried that uh, if I fell on him too hard I might uh, injure him and he'd be out of the playoffs and I'd get suspended <laughs> well you know I, I only got the chance to talk to Mick a couple times he was he was often at, at Oilers games uh, as a supervisor so sometimes you'd pass and, and have a few words uh, words with him Let's 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 talk first of all with his on ice personality. I mean, he was known for the helicopter being very demonstrative and animated in his uh, in his signals. Uh, where, like, where did that come from? And, and as a linesman working a game with him, did that you know create a certain sort of energy in the game? Well, I don't know if it created energy in the game. We just kind of laughed at him, going like, "Nick, what are you doing, dude? Like, simmer down here. You're gonna you're, you're gonna throw your shoulder out or something." You know that was just that was just mixed personality though. I mean, when he went to go do something, it was like all out or nothing. And you know, I, I think it was one night in the Western League, he had a really close goal play, and he was throwing his arm like crazy, and everybody, the fans went nuts. And I think that just you know brought about his, uh, I guess, actions on the ice. You know, in the National Hockey League, he just he had good success with it, and that was his trademark. And I mean, Kerry had his hair. Um, you know, Dan Morelli was a great skater, and Mick, he had the point at the net. 
Right. <laughs> well, and and you know, Kelly was saying that he he always enjoyed the the personalities of the referees and linesmen, and maybe a little bit of that is is, is lost now because uh, you guys went from having your names on the back of your jerseys to to just the numbers, so so you don't stick out as much. But t- tell me a little bit about Mick uh, away from the rink, and I, and I know you guys travel pretty much as as much as the players do during the season, but I'm sure you got a chance to to know Mick and uh, maybe have a meal or two with him along the way. Oh yeah, like uh, when I was in the Western League in uh, 1982 to 86, Mick had kind of broken in around the same time too. And with him working Regina and kind of traveling the the West, I would work the odd game, uh, you know, either in Calgary, Medicine Hat, or Lethbridge with him. Um, but I didn't really know him that well until we went to the Memorial Cup in '86 in Portland, and then we were kind of stuck together for eight days. And uh, you really got to know somebody really quick when you're stuck with them for eight days in a rink watching watching games or working. And <clears throat> he was just he's he was like a larger than life character. I always called him Foghorn Leghorn because you know <laughs> he was the guy that was I say I say I say you know he would step away kid you're bothering me you know he just had that kind of personality and that he you never knew what he was going to say and i think that's probably why kelly liked him so much because he could you could be in the middle of a war and out of nowhere mick would come up with some crazy phrase or comment and everybody would just stop and look at him and go like where does that come from Interesting. He had his, he's had his own way of uh, of quieting down situations. That's pretty cool. Mike Civic, former NHL linesman, joining us on Inside Sports, uh, remembering uh, Mick Magoo, who unfortunately the hockey world lost over the weekend at the age of 62, uh, shortly uh, a few days after he he suffered a stroke. Um, you know when Mick's Mick's style, like, is that like, is there ever going to be somebody else that can do that again, or is a little bit of that? maybe going to be, I, I don't want to say like it's discouraged necessarily, but is it harder for a ref to really be that unique in the in the modern NHL? Yeah, I, I think it is. Because, I mean, when we all broke in, um, the game was just a cast of characters. Everybody had personalities, and you knew what Tiger Williams was going to do, and you knew what all these guys, all the funny guys on the ice were going to do, and you were just waiting for them to do it because you wanted to see it. Because that was part of the allure of, of watching the game. It was like the personalities of the game. And it's so, and I hate to use this phrase, but it, it, I, I think it kind of fits. The game is so vanilla now that the personalities have become vanilla. And if anybody does have a personality like PK, I mean, it's like, holy cow, like where'd this guy come from? It's He's been around and that's been around. It's just we haven't allowed it to foster in, into the game anymore. It's like, no, this is kind of the temperament that you need to be, and this is kind of like the road that you need to travel on. And if you kind of veer off that road, you're you're kind of like, you know, I, I don't, don't want to say ostracized, but, you know, you're different. And, you know, maybe you're not a team guy because, you know, it's all about this and it's all about that. I don't think we're ever going to see, like, the mix come about with, you know, the personality that he had on the ice and the, you know, the helicopter moves and the, you know, standing in the corner on one leg and pumping his arm like crazy or getting in the face of somebody and giving it to him or a coach and, and then turn around and look at the coach and both start giggling. Right. <laughs> well, I, I love how you're, you're, you're framing uh mixed personality. And I want to ask you about that too. Uh, I mean, I think when we as observers, and I'm talking about fans and media guys like me, like we watch the game and we say, well, this ref, uh, you know, makes good calls. This linesman is a good skater and he has good judgment on icings and offsides and stuff like that. 
but but how much of the of the evaluation of official and probably stuff you guys would see with each other in game is that ability to diffuse a situation before you have to call a penalty like is that is that a part of it that that maybe uh, you know viewers wouldn't wouldn't detect as much well you know Reed I, I do a lot of volunteer work with the Alberta Junior Hockey League and mentoring the officials the Canadian Women's Hockey League the CIS Women's and CIS ACAC and that is the conversation the majority of the time in the room after we talk about you know positioning and maybe a couple of missed calls or a couple of calls that they shouldn't have called is about communication not only with the coaches with the players but the other officials it's i think it's almost becoming a lost art that nobody talks to anybody anymore so there's just mass confusion and mick i mean mick was hilarious like he would get in there and he'd be barking stuff off and then he'd start grinning and laughing and a lot of times you know things would be going sideways and he'd say something stupid about himself and everybody would look at him and just start giggling going like oh it's it's mick and that's just how he did it you know he he'd, he'd make himself look foolish to kind of diffuse something and then everybody would giggle and they'd just kind of go like oh that's just mick eh? and next thing you know hey, we're back to playing hockey well and, and you as a linesman must have liked that because then you're not breaking up fights with big sweaty angry guys all the time oh no and then you get in the dress room and you look at him and you're like Mick where did that where did, where did you come up with that one <laughs> <laughs> and he just sit in the corner and giggle go <laughs> it stopped it didn't it <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Uh, Mike Civic, former NHL linesman, joining us in Inside Sports. Mike, th- thanks for those uh, those memories. And uh, Mick uh, Mick is gone far too soon for sure. I got I got to just at- throw in another one here for you because uh, we, we usually have you on a couple times a season, but uh, haven't had you on since this happened. You probably saw this. The Oilers had back to back games earlier this season where an opponent was called for a face off violation. Because two guys in a row committed, uh, you know, going in early or whatever, you know, moving their sticks too early, not lining up properly. Um, I, I don't know if I had seen it before, and then I saw it two games in a row. Uh, you know, as a linesman, is that a rule we need? Like, that's pretty harsh to give a team a power play off something like that. What, like, what, do, what do you think of that call and the, even the ability of a linesman to make that call? Well, here again, I, I think it stems from the fact that, you know, years and years and years ago, we had a pretty good standard with the centermen. We, you know, we had a good rapport with the centermen because uh, there wasn't, you know, there's only 24, 26 of us and, you know, the 24, play, you know, 24 teams. Um, so you had a good rapport with the centermen. So you didn't really run into that. And then when we expanded and all these young guys are coming in and the whole thing was, you know, if you're not cheating, you're not winning. Well, it was it was tough to get them to where they could be fair. And then we had to work to get them being fair. And then we got them there and then, you know, it was too much. So, you know, you got to loosen up. And when you're dealing with 25 now where we got 34 linesmen, um, it's got to be kind of spelled out that this is the procedure of what you have to do. So they're all doing the same thing because the way I dropped the puck was different than the way Brad Lazarowicz dropped it, than Shane Heyer, than Randy, than Sweet Knox, than Gerard Goche. But we had the respect of the centermen that nine times out of ten, we had pretty good face-offs back then. Now it's difficult because, you know, we had Jared Stoll, you know, fall down and use his hand. So we had to bring in a rule for that, that, you you know, you can't use your hand. Guys are still falling down. And then when they couldn't do that, it was like, okay, well, I'll get my foot in there and swing it around and try to kick it out. And then, we're you know, we're trying to stop that because that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. All those things are dangerous. So I think part of that is to stop that, stop that 
from being an issue where somebody's going to get hurt on a face-off. And then the other thing is you got to try to get them to be fair. Because um, I explained this to a, a young a linesman the other night. I said, if I'm a coach and I know I've got a really good centerman and I put him out because that's his strong side and he wins 65% of his draws and they put some guy out there that's not very good, but you let him cheat, you actually deny my skilled centerman his skill by allowing the other guy to cheat just a little bit better because my guy's not cheating. So it takes his effectiveness away. So I think they're trying to get back to the fairest face-off they can, and, and the guys now are getting a little better. You know, they had one uh, last year where, you know, pretty much they didn't have too many issues with face-offs, I don't think. Yeah. But now the guys have kind of figured out, okay, now let's just push the line a little bit more and see where we can get to. And I think the league wanted to stop it right away in the exhibition season because they didn't want to get to February and, and just have all of just throw it in and see what happens, you know, rugby style. So I think that's the reason why the crackdown. Um, I know it's tough. Me as a linesman, do I want to make that call? No. But in the sake of being fair in the game, if it has to be done, it has to be done. Mike, I'm going to throw one more at you here. I love having you on the show. Thanks for being so generous with your time. From your years in the league as a linesman, who was the best cheater you ever had in the dot? <laughs> Adam Oates. Really? Yeah. I, I battled with Adam every night. Uh, like was, he just what, was, would try anything or what? Oh, it was just spinning on me. But the problem with him is he would spin into me. So he'd always be hitting my skates, and it just drove me nuts because, you know, a lot of times I thought he was going to spin into me, and I'd be going down backwards. So I'd always tell him, no, no, no. And he's like, well, that's my, that's the way i got to go. I go, I know, Adam, I get it, but stop. You can't turn. <laughs> so it, it was it was a constant battle. And, you know, near the end, you know, I, I, I had a lot of fun with uh, Claude Giroux in Philly because he was one of those guys. He'd always like to, you know, spin in with his skate. So I'm doing a game in Philly one night, and uh, I'm skating around the warm-up. And I looked at Claude, and I said, hey, I said, tonight we're not spinning, right? He goes, Mike, you're the only guy that tells me that. I go, I know, so you should know. When I'm here, you don't do it. <laughs> so he tried it the first couple of times. I threw him out of the face-off. And, uh, of course, he lost those ones. And then the rest of the night, he probably won, I don't know, seven out of every ten. So about the middle of the uh, third period, about the, just before the last commercial, I'm looking at him. So I go, Cole, come here. So he comes over. And I said, hey. I go, um, you know, I get paid for uh, teaching guys on the ice. He looks at me and goes, what are you talking about? I said, you've won the majority of your face-offs tonight because you're not spinning around like a top. I said, you've you got to give some brother some love here, eh? So he comes over and he just rubs his hand on my, uh, his glove on my hand. He goes, hey, thanks. That's great. Oh, incredible stories, Mike. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate your memories of, of Mick Magoo. I can tell how much you love working with him and being around him in the NHL. And, and uh, all the best, of course, as you continue to bring, bring along young officials. It's, it's so great to have someone like you involved in that, Mike. We'll have you on again soon, man. Oh, thanks, Reed. And you know what? Uh, thanks, thanks for doing uh, you know, memories of Mick because you know what? He'd be the first guy to, to, to sit here and, and, and love to have his stories told. And, you know, I, 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 forgot, I forgot to mention this, but he, he was such an awesome family guy, too, away, away from the rink. Um, his daughter and my daughter were both in dance at about the same age. And all he could do, all we talked about was Carly and Isaac and Angie and his brothers. And, you know, it just, it just went on and on. I could go on and on for an hour. So I know your time is limited. So, But thanks for having Mick on, and thanks for having me on again. Mike, we'll talk to you again soon. You bet. Thank you.
your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Man, it is always a pleasure to have Mike Civic on the show. Great memories of Mick Magoo, and I, I love his insight into uh, dropping the puck in the face-off circle as a linesman. He said uh, Adam Oates was a pretty good cheater for Mike's years in the NHL, and he talked a little bit about how the linesman can call the, the, the face-off violation penalty, and I, I think clearly Mike thinks things have changed more uh, teams in the league, more players in the league, maybe uh, not as much communication as he would like nowadays between linesmen and and players because you're not seeing the same players uh, as much, so you can't build the same type of rapport. You can text 63630, the phone number 780-496-0063. Talking a little bit about Yessi Puglia-Yarvi earlier with uh, Kelly Rudy and about some players who sometimes take a little longer than you might hope to, to really make it in the NHL, and, and I, I know with uh, Pugliarvi, I think you can question how he's been handled by the Oilers at times. For sure, Ken Hitchcock uh, wants him on the Oilers. He wants to teach him himself. He wanted him up from Bakersfield. Having said that, Pugliarvi played a season-low 743 last night. He needs to get up to pace, and that's why you, you can't do that in the American Hockey League. He's got to get up to pace. Like He was gassed at the practice yesterday, and and it was a hot tempo there, and then he got... He, he was he was behind at the start of the game, but he got going. And if he's going to play at this competitive level, this is he's going to in the next within the next 30 days. He's going to help us a lot. All right. Well, within the next 30 days, we'll see how it goes for Puliyarvi. We'll see how it goes for the Oilers against Dallas tomorrow. They don't have a good record. The Oilers 10, 11, and two. But in the division they're in, the Pacific, they're uh, very much in a playoff hunt from third downward. Nobody really hitting a lot of home runs in the Pacific. Calgary Stampeders are Grey Cup champs. Nate Ajay from the Eskimos breaks it down when we get back. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.